tell you a funny story about John 3.16, which is one of those hot topic verses. It's one of those spiritual urban legend verses that I've referred to through the years. You know, we have the radio program over here in uh, Tuscaloosa County that's been going for, for many years now on Sunday mornings. Several years ago, I had Brother Buddy Abernathy come on as a guest to, to preach and pre-record the, the message, of course. And so Brother Buddy preached the message on John 3.16 and the true meaning of John 3.16. And so I tuned it in that morning about eight, I think it was eight at that time. And a wonderful message, straight down the line, you know, scripture comparing scripture, like Brother Lucas preached for us here this morning. And I tuned that in about eight o'clock. And then, you know, I, I flipped it back on about 945, just on the way to church. It was Brother Buddy preaching on John 316 again. I thought, well, that's interesting. They must have had a little glitch. Well, we went through church and I got, uh, I went to the car after church and we ate and I turned it on about 1.30. Brother Buddy preaching on John 316. That thing had gone in a loop at the station and it was playing, it played 13 times that day. And I, I, for a while, when I first heard it, I was like, that's awesome. That's great. I can't believe everybody in West Alabama is going to learn again and again what John 3.16 means. And then after it went about 12 times, I was thinking, you know, this may be counterproductive here. <laughs> the masses may be growing and come to find us. And who is this March Design broadcast? You know, <laughs> But Brother Buddy preached John 3.16 13 times in a row on that particular Sunday. And we have a laugh about that from time to time. But... Obviously, the Lord wanted a lot of people to hear about John 3.16, just like Brother Luke preached here today. So, praise God. I ask you to turn, if you would, in your Bibles to 1 Peter, the first chapter. 1 Peter, the first chapter. And this is what's on my mind this morning as we read the first couple verses of 1 Peter. We get what we need as we go along. The Lord gives us what we need as we go along. Let's read these couple verses and I'll explain what I'm talking about. 1 Peter 1 and verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect, this is what he calls them, these strangers, these people of God, elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. Now that is an amazing verse right there for a number of reasons. One of the reasons that's an amazing verse is if you're looking for a one-verse description of what you believe as a truth believer, that is a great verse right there. It describes in verse 2 how we are God's people. It talks about the Father, what the Father did, what the Spirit does, what the Son does. That is a one-verse reference that could lead, obviously, to many other verses. Another reason, and what I want to focus in on today, is that verse is so amazing. is because under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as Peter writes, he has just covered ages of time. Ages. Elect by the Father before the foundation of the world. That's when that happened. And then it speaks of the Spirit, what the Spirit does, which is in the lifetime of a child of God. That work of the Spirit is ongoing to this very day. So we go from before the foundation of the world down here to this very day, and then he talks about the work of Christ, which was almost 2,000 years ago. If you can wrap your mind around the expanse and the extent of how much time that covers, that's amazing. At least it is to me. I hope it is to you. Before the foundation of the world, 
2,000 years ago with Christ, down to this very day. And, and the beautiful part, when he speaks about the lively hope that we have, that's talking about a time in the future when the Lord comes back. Who but God could come up with such language to cover such a vast time frame and all the way into eternity past, reaching out into eternity future. And the point of that is this. I want you to think about how God gives us what we need as we go along. You know, God could have said, I'm just going to do salvation all at one time. It's going to be a one-time event. You know, it's just going to be Christ. He'll cover everything that I need Him to cover. You know, all the other aspects of it. You know, don't ask me to explain how in the wisdom of God that He spread that out like He did. But I'm telling you, it was right, it is right, and it always shall be right that He spread that out like, like He did. You know, he chose before the world was formed. He sent his son at the exact appropriate time to do what he did. And he sends the spirit into the heart of the child of God at the exact chosen time that he chooses to give them life. And he's coming back one day on his timetable. You see, he could have just said, all right, let's just do this in one second. But he spread it out which is evidence of how God gives us what we need as we go along. But we kind of live in an instant gratification mindset, especially in America. You know, two-day shipping on Amazon. And that doesn't, you know, it says it on there now, but that doesn't work anymore, does it? <laughs> At least it's still free, right? <laughs> you know, it says two-day shipping, but it's not going to get there in two days, but at least it's still free. You know, we want, we're, we're an instant gratification mindset. And I don't care what age you are. It's, it's across the board. We want it now. And if we, you know, if, we, if we have to get a credit card and get it on credit to get it, we can get it right now. We've all done that. And I'll just pay it off at the end of the month. I mean, thank God if you do pay it off at the end of the month. That's good. But we got this instant gratification mindset. You know, it comes to that with discipleship too. You know, I've changed. I'm different. The Lord's done a work on me. Now everybody see it, <laughs> you know. You know, accept me for what I am now and not for what I was. You know, we have that instant gratification mindset. I've been there myself. You know, I'm not that person anymore. I don't go those places or do those things anymore. Can't you see? <laughs> but God gives us what we need as we go along. I wasted a little time thinking about this. But what if you had to pay in advance when you turn 16? You had to pay in advance for every gallon of gas that you were going to put in your vehicle for the rest of your life. It would break you, especially with the prices like they are now. <laughs> I don't know if this is completely accurate, but I did a little research on that. I actually tried to use my calculator myself, which is very dangerous. I even questioned myself with math when I used my calculator. I don't even know if I'm figuring it right. But some of the figures said if you paid for that up front from age 16 to a normal lifespan, it'd be something like $300,000 or $350,000. With the prices like they are now, it'd probably be more like $500,000. But can you imagine you turn 16 and you're excited? I remember that excitement. You go get your license and then you walk over to the gas station and they say, well, the way we got this thing set up, now you got to pay for all your gas in advance. Where's your $300,000 check? What 16-year-old is going to be able to do that? Maybe one of these billionaires' children. But you don't pay for all the gas that you get up front. You see, you get it as you go along. You get it as your tank runs out. Where in the world would you store all that gas, for one thing? Think about that with your power bill, with your 
whatever bill. Think about that with your mortgage. If you have a mortgage on your house and they said, I'm sorry, we can't, it wouldn't be a mortgage then, would it? But we can't lend you this money. You know, you got to pay it all back right now. Or what if they called it, you know, due right now? See? In those areas, you get what you need as you go along. Our God is like that. Our Savior is like that. He gives us what we need as we go along. And you might also say this is a lesson in waiting and being patient. Because we want the instant relief. We want the instant gratification. If I get a little bit of a headache, I'm headed for the ibuprofen. You know, I I want to be rid of the problem. I want to be rid of the issue. But the good things in life come with time. You know, think about pregnancy. It's a long time ago, but I remember when this young woman back here, who's my oldest child, I remember when she was on the way. And it seemed like forever until she was going to get here. And then even whenever we went into the hospital, it was seemed like forever for another day or so till she got here. And then when she got here, you know, you think all of that disappears, all that waiting, all that time. You know, this is the moment. This is amazing. I mentioned about getting your driver's license. I'm telling you, you had to be a bigger person, a taller person, a larger person than me to be more excited about getting a driver's license than I was. I could not wait. You know, when I was young, I couldn't wait to grow up. And then, you know, when you grow up, you wish you could go back to being young. You know, we just have this dissatisfaction when it comes to waiting and and waiting for those things. My goodness, in, in the practice of law that I'm in, you start a case and then it might be three years. It might be five years. Sometimes it might be, you know, a long time before that comes to fruition. You just got to wait. And I can see it coming. I can see it on the horizon. You know, but I got to be patient and wait so that I can get to that point. You know, waiting on a spouse, waiting to find the right person. Some of you older ones, you may identify with that in terms of waiting to see the Lord. You know, some of you older ones, if the, if the span of time goes like it is, you'll see the Lord most likely before I will. And, you know, I heard somebody say one time that when you start to have more friends up there than you do down here, you know, it really gets that pull going. You know, I want to see my friends there. Most of them are up there, you know, that, but you got to wait. You got to wait for that. But the Lord gives you what you need as you go along. What about Christ himself? He is an incredible lesson in getting what you need as you go along. I just cannot fathom in my mind the master of the universe, the savior, the, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. I, I just, it just boggles my mind to think that he laid aside his divinity in a sense and comes down to earth and goes into flesh. He's still divine. He's still God, but he's also man. And the book of Hebrews speaks to this, that he was made a little lower than the angels. He set aside his regal splendor in heaven, came down from the throne, and came into the form of less than an atom or a molecule. Your God was in that form. And then, look, he didn't just appear as a man all of a sudden. You know, when God created Adam, Adam was created as a full-grown man. You know, he just appeared, and he's a full-grown man. But Christ, your Savior went through everything that you have gone through except he was without sin. It was a long gestation period. Think about that. From the time that the Holy Ghost implanted him in the womb of Mary. You know, he didn't just all of a sudden be born. He grew in the womb of Mary. He grew into a baby. He grew into time to give birth. He was a baby when he was conceived, you understand? But he grew and then he comes into the world. Time goes by. 
God gives him what he needs as he goes along. He was a baby that was sought to be killed by a king. And you know the account there that God gave Joseph what he needed as he went along. God told Joseph, you need to get out of here. Herod's on the way. They will seek to kill the child. What does he do? I'm sure the first thought in Joseph's mind, the wise men hadn't come. He would have thought, where am I going to finance this trip to Egypt? But the wise men had just been there. God gave him what he needed as he goes along. And what did they do? They gave him invaluable gifts. Gold, silver, frankincense, and myrrh. And Joseph had enough that he needed to finance his trip to Egypt. You see? It would have been impossible for a man of his lack of means. They would have starved on their way to Egypt in a natural sense. But God gave him what he needed as he went along. Now you've got the funds to be able to make that trip to Egypt. That's how God works. You understand that? When it comes to providential things, we think, how am I going to make it? How am I going to make it through this? How am I going to deal with this? If you're looking to God, he will give you what you need as you go along. He'll put people in your path. He'll orchestrate situations where you think, well, this can be no other cause other than God. In a greater sense, he has done that for you when it comes to your salvation. But you think about Christ, the patience that he had I don't know what his cognizance was in the womb. I don't know. I do know that whenever Mary encountered Elizabeth, who was expecting John the Baptist, and he was a baby in the womb, there was some level of cognizance that God imposed upon Elizabeth's womb because John leaped for joy in the belly of his mother whenever Mary approached, you see? So I don't know if God had full cognizance in the womb of Mary. We could spend an eternity talking to God about that one day. We can ask him any question we want. As a matter of fact, then you'll have a perfect mind like Christ. You won't have to ask. But there he is as a baby being held and swaddled in swaddling clothes. There he is as a toddler, you know, bouncing around the house there when the wise men come. There he is being carried down into Egypt, you know, as if he needed someone to carry him. And then there he is at 12 years old. You know, what happened in between? I don't know. You can ask God about that in heaven. But we know that at 12 years old, he was in the temple and he said he was about his father's business. And that was not a reference to his adoptive father, Joseph. You see, all through the life of Christ, he had some kind of patience, did he not? How many times did Christ say after he manifested himself in public and he began to preach, and he began to teach, and he began to heal. And they would come for him, and they'd say, we're going to get him. We're so sick of him. As a matter of fact, the first message that he ever preached there in his hometown in Luke, the fourth chapter, they led him out to the brow of the hill because they didn't like what he said. And you know what he preached? He preached exactly the subject that I got before you here in the text this morning, elect, according to the foreknowledge of God. He spoke about those that were chosen in the Old Testament. They led him out to the brow of the hill to kill him. And it wasn't his time, you see. He passed among them. There's no Hollywood show or movie that can capture the immensity and the power and the overruling supremacy of God. He just passes among them. Don't you wish you could do that sometimes? (laughs) You know, when they come after you and when they're fussing at you, you know, you just, whoop, just, you know, just wave the hand and just, you know, you know, speak to the hand and, and, you know, just go on about your business. Like, and they're thinking, what happened? Where'd he go? That'd be great, wouldn't it? I've thought about that a few times in court when things weren't going my way. If I could just do, pull a Christ right there and just, whoo, everything all of a sudden starts going my way. Christ just, you know, just moved through them. Over and over, he did that. It's not my time. It's not my time. He said, I will lay my life down when it's time, and I will take it up again when it's time. It's, the, the life of Christ is a testimony 
to how God gives us what we need as we go along. Christ said, my father, my father, my father. He referenced his father. My father loves me. My father cares for me. My father provides for me. And he did. Think about this verse here in 1 Peter 1. He says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now, as good old Baptists, you know what that's a reference to. That is a reference to eternity past. Before there was time, before God created time, before God created the worlds, and before He created man, when there was nothing. And Jesus referred to this in John the 17th chapter in His prayer before the cross. He referred to this as when He and His Father were in their glory in eternity past. Now, the glory is still there. It doesn't change. But it was before God created. You know, time is God's tool. You understand that? That ought to make you relax just a little bit. You know, time is God's tool. He created it to manifest His glory. And it says that according, we are chosen, we are God's children because before the world was formed, God foreknew His people. You see, that's an act that requires us to have patience to even consider because it was before the world was formed. We weren't there. We didn't see it. But that is a linchpin. That is a concrete, solid truth that we must believe as children of God. There was a before the foundation of the world. God was in existence before He created time and the world and Adam. There was someone that loved you before any of this that we see and look around and feast our eyes upon. Any of this was here. You see, He gave us what we needed. Even before we were in existence, the Father chose. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. That's a long time ago. Before the world was formed. But it also says, through sanctification of the Spirit. Now, if you think about the time frame of that, if you, if you look at it from today's standpoint, he has just jumped from before the world was formed, when God foreknew a people, to down to this very hour, as we read that. And when Peter wrote it, down to that very hour, you know, almost 2,000 years ago. The Spirit is still going about doing the work of the Spirit. The Spirit is the one that borns again a child of God. The Spirit is the one that gives them the ability to believe. See? It's the Spirit that gives life. It's the Spirit that sets apart the child of God's heart. You know, in the modern day thinking of the religious world, you know, it's, it's something that you have done to set yourself apart or a choice that you have made in order to be able to glorify God and get that salvation. But the Word of God is very clear that it is the Spirit's work. The Spirit gets the credit for going in there and borning again a child of God. It's referred to as quickening. It's referred to as many different things in the Word of God. Being born again, being quickened. It's referred to as a resurrection. It's referred to in multiple ways. But it all adds up to one thing. And that is, God does it and He gets the glory. And He gives you what you need as you go along. I am sure that in the life of the thief on the cross, that there were many, many hours of sadness spent in that house of his parents. And they thought, you know, where did we fail? Why is our son out there robbing people? <laughs> committing these terrible crimes? You know, I'm sure, as, as we often do, we, we might say, Lord, you know, you know, change him. Why don't you do something to him? Lord, you know, Lord, help him. You know, and maybe say to that thief, what's wrong with you? Why don't you look to the Lord? Why don't you turn from all these crimes? And the thief just kept on his, with his thieving and his robbing. Until 
He's hanging on a cross next to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. After he has cursed the Son of God and said, why don't you get us down from here? Something happened to that thief. And it was the work of the Spirit of God. Now that's something you can ponder now and wonder at because it is something you will ponder and wonder at through the annals of eternity that's coming. Why did God wait until the last few minutes of the life of that thief in order to born him again? You know, from a natural standpoint, you might look at it and the parents might say, oh, I wish he'd have done that when he was two years old. He might have missed all this trouble. I wish he'd have done it when he was 20. I wish, you know, you can't question God in that way. His timing is perfect. And the reason that God waited and gave that man eternal life after he had cursed his own son was to prove to you and I once and for all that salvation is by grace. There's no other conclusion you can reach. They didn't take him down and baptize him. They didn't get a confession out of him. A priest wasn't there. Nothing other than the glory of God can be seen in the life of that thief. You say, well, that was good for him, but you know, mine's different. The Gospel of John tells us that so is everyone that is born again of the Spirit. You were born again the same way that thief was born again. You may have thought that you did something or thought something or acted in some way. You may, it might be even easy to see why you would think that way. But the reason you think that way, the reason you acted, the reason you believed is because the Spirit did the same thing to you that it did to the thief on the cross. It gave you spiritual life. That's the role of the Spirit. It gives you what you need as you go along. Now, I've told you before, I believe I was probably born again as a small child. <laughs> I always felt guilty when I reached out to get stuff and grab stuff I've been told not to get and not to grab. <laughs> I always felt bad when I disappointed my parents. I always felt bad, you know, whenever I'd have to be disciplined for that. Yeah, it hurt, but I, inside me looking back, I, I felt there was some conviction, real conviction in there. <laughs> you know, maybe God had given me spiritual life when I don't even remember. That happens to some people. That's not what happened to Paul. And that's not what happened to the thief on the cross. But even then, even after the Spirit of God gives you spiritual life, if you're looking to the Lord all throughout your life, He'll give you things that you need. You know, He'll grant you mercies as you go along. You know, one of the Psalms says, Thy mercies are renewed every day. And if we're looking to Him, He will give us what we need as we go along. And I have found that in the most dire of circumstances, in the most tragic of situations, that the Lord, He never forsakes, He never leaves, and He will give us what we need as we go along. You say, well, I just want things to be easy. Sometimes we don't need it to be easy. Sometimes we need chastisement. Sometimes we need discipline. I've joked and said, I didn't get enough spankings growing up. Don't amen that, Mom. But I didn't get enough spankings growing up. I didn't get enough discipline growing up. I wish I'd gotten more. I got away with things that I shouldn't have gotten away with. You know, we need to feel the need for God. It's sometimes hard to feel the need for God when everything is just right and going your way. But when you get in dire circumstances... You feel the acute need for God. And He gives you what you need as you go along. Think about the Old Testament examples. Many examples. The longest running miracle in the Old Testament, you know what that was? It was the manna. You know, for 40 plus years, God sent manna every day to feed them in a place where there was no food. And He gave them water in a place where there was no water. That's the longest running miracle. A 40 year miracle. Now the miracles that Jesus did are amazing. We don't take away from any of those miracles. But that is something. That He fed them every day and held up on the seventh day. 
They gathered enough on the sixth day that they could eat on the seventh day and not have to go and violate the law and go out and gather. He gave them what they needed as they went along. Do you think the manna would have lasted for them if God had dumped 40 years worth of manna right there on top of them? Now, y'all gather it. Y'all store it. Get your refrigerators plugged in. They didn't have refrigerators. You know, store this. It would have ruined. You see, he gave them what they needed as they went along. But we want things right now, don't we? What about Elijah when he was on the run? Hiding. God was hiding him. And after he had spent that time near the brook Cherith, which, by the way, was right under the nose of King Ahab. You know, Ahab sent out messengers all through the land. But Elijah was right there under his nose, hiding up in the mountains, in the mountains up a little nook where he was being kept by God. And what was God doing? He, he was drinking water from the brook where everywhere else water had dried up. You know, there was no rain. And he was also eating what God brought to him, which was the ravens bringing him food. Now, I've got a little imaginative mind. I've often wondered if maybe those ravens were picking up food because there wasn't hardly any food anywhere, right? But you, you can be guaranteed that there was food at the king's house. I wonder if the ravens were picking up some extra food from the king's house or leftovers left on the windowsill, taking it over there and feeding Elijah. Who knows? We'll ask the Lord that in heaven also. But he gave him what he needed as he went along. He didn't have 400 ravens come in there and drop, you know, a year and a half's worth of food on him. No, day by day, you can see Elijah looking off in the distance. There, there comes another one. And those ravens would come and drop him food and he would eat. God gave him what he needed as he went along. And then Elijah, God moves him over to another place. And he goes down to the widow of Zarepta, who was preparing her last meal, about to prepare her last meal for her and her small child. And he goes into her home for the next year and a half or so. And it says that in the widow of Zarepta's house, the barrel of meal miraculously refilled every day and the cruise of oil refilled enough to cook a meal or two or whatever every day. God did not send 400 barrels of oil. He did not send, you know, 25 sacks of meal. He gave them what they needed as they went along. And child of God, I'm telling you, the Lord does that with us. If you're looking to Him, He'll give you what you need as you go along. Think about it. There's many, many examples from Joseph in the Word of God to Abraham. Examples of where God gave what they needed as they went along. But we often stumble, don't we? You know, we think, well, I'm not getting enough. I'm not getting what I need. Or I want more. Or, Lord, where are you? And if we'll just look with the eye of faith, if we'll just practice using the belief that God has given us, We'll see amazing things of how God continues to provide as we go along. In the New Testament, every single time, without exception, the Apostle Paul writes to a church. Somewhere, you, you check me out on this, somewhere in the introductory lines of what he says, he says grace and peace. Every single time, without exception, when he writes to the churches, he greets them to so-and-so at Corinth, to so-and-so at Thessalonica, to the church at whatever, he says grace and peace. You know why? It's because grace comes before you can have peace. You understand that? You have to have the grace of God in your life before you can ever even experience peace. Now, it's interesting to me that every time the Apostle Paul writes to preachers, he says grace, mercy, and peace. <laughs> I don't know exactly what that means, but it tells me that for sure the preacher needs some mercy. <laughs> you understand? And we should all show mercy to, I'm not just talking about me, but to the gifts of God, to the preachers of God. 
Grace and peace. You see, grace has to be there before you have peace. You know, you don't just get a truckload of peace and then grace follows it. God gives you grace and then you have peace. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall comfort your heart and your mind. Look, years ago when I finally met Sister Tracy and we were engaged and we were you know, soon to be married, I, I wanted to show her off to everybody that I knew. You know, I, I, she's on my arm. I found her. She, you know, she, she probably was embarrassed of me and probably still is. But, you know, I found her. Look. You know, but there was just no way to show her off to everyone at that moment. You know, when that was going. It took time. Hey, this is my wife. You know, well, at that time, you know, this is my fiance. This is my wife. You know, whatever. And then eventually when she's my wife, you know, it, through the years, even when we moved back over here to Gordo, you know, I was so excited for people to meet my wife because I was in love with her because she was my, my soulmate, you know? But it, it took time, you know, for people to get to know her. My people back home, you know, up in our community and so forth, you know, it took time for them to get to... Look, when I came to the church years ago and I saw what God was doing, some of you, a few of you were there when in the initial uh, growth stages of Bethlehem Church. And, you know, I, I know y'all think I'm crazy. But I even had thoughts of, you know, how can I get the word out on this amazing thing that's going on over here? I even thought about doing some street preaching in Gordo. <laughs> I probably wouldn't be around if I'd done that. But if you look in the history of Baptist now, if you look in the history of the church, you'll find that many of your old, old Baptist preachers from way back, they'd get on, the, they'd get on a stump and preach. They'd get on the, the, the side of the road and preach. They'd go into the cities and they'd preach. And I read from the accounts, they'd gather a crowd of 500 or 700 just standing there preaching on the street. Now that seems weird to us today, doesn't it? It doesn't make any sense. But when we first started experiencing revival, I just wanted to spread the word and tell everyone. And, you know, Brother Luke knows what I'm talking about. You know, you get excited and you want to tell what the Lord has done for you and what's going on. And the next thing you know, you, you encounter somebody and they just kind of rain on your parade. <laughs> They're not as excited as you. They haven't had the experience that you've had. But you know what? God gives you what you need as you go along. I think we could say as a church, Bethlehem Church, God has given us what we needed as we go along. You know, naturally, we couldn't fit in that little area over there anymore. You know, God blessed us. We couldn't, have, we couldn't have built that building in 2002. But in 2012 and 13 and 14, you know, God gave us what we needed as we went along. Do you all understand that? What are you struggling with? What are you thinking you're being slighted for? Maybe it's time to look up. Maybe it's time to ask God, show me, show me. I'm hurting I need relief. I need direction. I need, I need whatever it is that you need. I'm telling you that the God who foreknew you before this world was even here and loved you and placed His affection on you and sent His Son to die for you almost 2,000 years ago, the God that loved you and paid for your sins and sent His Spirit at the appropriate time over that great span of time in your life when your heart was tendered by the Spirit of God, that same God who gave you what you needed before the foundation of the world on the cross with the Son of God and even now in your life, that same God is still on the throne. We need to look to Him. Because God gives us what we need as we go along. If there's one or more here that would like to follow the Lord, we give you that opportunity as we stand and sing.